Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. And so over the next hour, we cast our minds back to that time and space in human history when Jesus gave himself over to death on a cross. And we are going to look together at some of the most wonderful and most agonized words to ever grace the pages of human history, the last words from the lips of Jesus as he died on the cross. And so we come to our first word, which we find in Luke 23, verse 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. They say you can tell a lot about a person by the way they die as death approaches and a person faces up to the reality of what is about to happen to them. Often their deepest and most profound emotions, their most basic qualities are exposed. So what do we learn about Jesus as he faces his own death? Father, forgive them. This is remarkable forgiveness. A few years ago, I was involved in a minor car accident. It was nothing very serious. And to my mind, I was completely innocent in the whole affair. It was not my fault at all. But I can still remember the feeling when the letter arrived in the post from the insurance company with the news that, in fact, the other party involved in the accident, they were entirely accusing me of being to blame for the incident. And I remember as I held the letter that my blood boiled. I wanted to pick up the phone and give the other side both barrels. I knew I was right. And I was angry to be falsely accused. I wonder if if you've ever felt that way. Accused of doing something you didn't do. It is wretched. We long to defend ourselves. There is within each of us that inner lawyer who comes out to our defense, marshalling carefully argued, argued rationales why we must be right. Not so Jesus. He was completely innocent, yet now hanging on a cross as a condemned criminal. And still he says, Father, forgive them. But is this forgiveness really all that remarkable? Because, do you see, Jesus continues, they do not know what they are doing. When people make mistakes, forgiveness is much easier, isn't it? Imagine a friend who accidentally knocks over our favorite mug and breaks it. We forgive them. It was just an accident. Now... I know crucifixion is, much, is a much bigger mistake than a broken mug, but do you see the point? If, if this crucifixion was just a big accident, a, a mistake, then surely Jesus' forgiveness is less startling. But it wasn't an accident. They should have known what they were doing. Okay, maybe not the soldiers just carrying out the orders. You can imagine them at the base of the cross That was their job every day, to execute guilty people. And they must have presumed he was yet another guilty man. But Jesus is not talking about just the soldiers. You see, there have been lots of people who have been involved 
in the various events leading up to the moment where Christ is crucified. Think of his two good friends, Judas and Peter, with him for three years. One betrays and the other fails to come to his defense at his greatest moment of need. Then there's the chief priests, the temple guards, the elders who arrested Jesus, the soldiers who mocked, Pilate and Herod who both found no grounds for execution and yet gave in to the demands of the crowd. They all should have known exactly what they were doing. For three years, Jesus had proclaimed who he was. He had demonstrated it through many signs and wonders for anyone who was willing to listen and look. But like a child with their fingers in their ears, willfully choosing not to listen to their parents, so these people had willfully chosen not to hear and believe the words of Jesus. And so when Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing, this is not some kind of innocent ignorance. No, this is willful suppression of the truth, a refusal to believe what they should have believed And so in this final moment, here is truly remarkable forgiveness. Of course, it's not just the crowds gathered around the cross on this Good Friday who need forgiveness. God has revealed himself so very clearly to the whole world in his glorious creation, in the words of scripture, in the person of his son, Yet this world suppresses the truth about God. We may not have crucified Jesus, but our willful ignorance, our desire to push God completely out of our lives and to live for ourselves. It's as if we are saying to God, we wish you were dead. And so we too need this remarkable forgiveness. They say you can tell a lot about a person by the way they die. And so come and marvel once again at the glory of Jesus. For as he dies, we see extraordinary forgiveness. Even towards people who should have known better. Even towards people like us. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And so we come to our second word from the lips of Jesus as he hung dying on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Make no mistake, This is a cry of unspeakable anguish. The Christian author Tim Keller explains it this way. If a mild acquaintance turns on you, condemns you and criticizes you, and says she never wants to see you again, it is painful. If someone you're dating does the same thing, it is qualitatively more painful but if your spouse does this to you, or if one of your parents does this to you when you're still a child, the psychological damage is infinitely worse. 
We cannot fathom, however, what it would be like to lose not just a spousal love or a parental love that has lasted several years, but the infinite love of the Father that Jesus had from eternity. And so this is a cry of unspeakable anguish. But why does it happen? We know the Father loves Jesus. Remember when Jesus was baptized back in Mark chapter 1, a voice came from heaven You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. We also know that Jesus was willing to obey his Father's will even in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was overwhelmed by the thoughts of his coming death, Jesus prayed to his heavenly Father, not my will, but yours be done. So we must not think for a moment that the Father and Jesus have had a falling out or are in any way in disagreement about what needs to happen. They are utterly united And yet, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Well, verse 33 from our reading tells us, at the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. The sixth hour, the brightest part of the day, And yet the skies darken for three hours. This is not some unthinkably long eclipse. No, consistently in the Bible, when darkness comes at unusual times, it is a sign of God's judgment. The Father is judging the sins of the world as they are carried by Jesus on the cross. And so in his great hour of turmoil, the Father turns away And Jesus is forsaken to his enemies gathered around. There is mystery here. These are deep things. There is one God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. How can this one God be divided? He cannot be divided. Yet, Jesus is forsaken by the Father. How can this be? Surely only because the divine son has taken on human flesh. The one man, Jesus, is both fully divine and fully human. And so Jesus is able to cry the very human cry of verse 34. Like King David many centuries before, Jesus is surrounded by his enemies and forsaken by God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The utter agony of this moment rules out one very fashionable trend of recent times. Have you heard it? The claim that God can just wipe our sins under the carpet of his love. If it were that easy, why did Jesus have to endure such agony? If there was some other way for our sins to be dealt with, other than Jesus carrying them on the cross and being forsaken by his father, then surely the father would have chosen another way, but there is no other way. 
So perhaps this afternoon we might reflect on the dreadful seriousness of our sin. It cannot be ignored. It cannot be pushed to one side. It makes us deserving of death. Our only hope is to have it placed on the shoulders of Jesus as he died the death we deserve. But as we reflect on the seriousness of our sin, let us also follow the camera as it zooms away from Jesus' final breath on the cross over to the temple. Verse 38, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The temple curtain covered in fearful cherubim, a great keep out sign. You must not come in. Torn from top to bottom, not by a human hand, but by the hand of God. The way is now open. And so the one who had always been close to the Father has been cut off so that those who have always been cut off can now come close. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We come now to our final word on the lips of Jesus as he hung dying on the cross. John 19, verse 30, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. In the course of human history, there have been many great projects. The pyramids, the International Space Station, the conquering of nations, scientific breakthroughs, great social reforms. But there has never been a moment like this in history. For when Jesus said, it is finished, he is talking about the greatest plan ever conceived. He is talking about the will of the Father, the great plan of salvation and rescue for the world. It is finished as Jesus dies. Very quickly, three things that are finished by his death. God's rescue is accomplished. John is at great pains to remind us that the death of Jesus took place at the time of the Passover. And the Passover was when God's people remembered that back in their history, God had once rescued them from his judgment by the death of a lamb and through the shedding of the blood of that lamb. And John is showing us that Jesus is the true and final Passover lamb. His role is accomplished, finished when he dies. His death once and for all has rescued us fully and finally from God's judgment. Which means that when we hear him cry, it is finished, we know that we need not fear again. It is finished, God's rescue is accomplished. It is finished, God's love is revealed. 
A few hours before his death, Jesus shared a final meal with his disciples. And before the meal, we read back in John 13, he, Jesus, now showed them the full extent of his love. And over the the next few hours, as we read through these chapters in John, we are wondering to ourselves, well, how will he show us the full extent of his love? Where will we see it? When will it happen? What will it look like? Well, now we know. As he dies hanging on the cross and cries out, it is finished. He has shown us how much he loves in fact, it's, it's the same word back in John 13 as, as the word in, in, at the cross, that two bookends, if you like, um, the idea of, of um, showing to the full extent or, or finishing. And this is so important. Do we want to see how much Jesus loves us? We must look to this moment on the cross. I don't know what you are facing today. I don't know what lies ahead of you after this time together. It it may be good things, and if life is going well for you, then I rejoice with you, but I know people well enough to know that in a room this size, there'll be many people going back to incredibly hard things, broken things, things that cause you to fear, things that make you wonder if God loves you. Where do we look to decide if he does? If it is to our circumstances, then we will be up and down like a yo-yo, depending on how things are going. But when we look to this moment on the cross, we see once and for all, it is finished. God's love is revealed. And finally, it is finished. God's glory is revealed. Just before he was betrayed, Jesus prayed perhaps the most famous of his prayers. He began it with these extraordinary words in John 17. Father, the time has come. Glorify your son, that your son might glorify you. The time has come. He is talking about the hour of the cross, his death. And although in so many ways the cross looks weak, It looks like a disaster. It is, in fact, the moment of glory. It is to his glory that God will not tolerate sin. It is to his glory that he must judge it. It is to his glory that Jesus was willing to take the punishment for our sin onto himself. It is to his glory that God could use great opposition from evil and sin and to turn it around to become a moment of great triumph. Of course, today is Friday, but Sunday is coming. In John's gospel, we cannot separate the death and resurrection of Jesus. They together are the hour of glory. And Jesus can say, it is finished on Good Friday because he knows that his loving heavenly father will raise him from the dead on Easter Sunday. Such is his confidence And of course, we look back and know that is exactly what happened. For his father did raise him from the dead, and he is now seated in glory next to his father, ruling the nations. 
And so here is our final word. It is finished.